hello everyone. Aren't you glad to be at church today? Amen, amen. Well, hey, I'm sorry I missed last week. I was sick. I ended up having strep throat. I was sick from Friday to Tuesday, and uh, so I'm on antibiotics. I'm glad to be here with all of you today. Uh, my voice is, is still uh, adjusting to, to not being sick, so, uh, so just bear with me if, I'm, if I cough and stuff throughout the service a little bit, or I cough on you. No. Uh, but we're, I'm thankful to be here with all of you today. I won't cough on you, I promise. Um, but hey, one thing I want to mention before we move into the service and go into 2 Samuel is that uh, Pastor Micah, he told his campus last week, and you may have heard, but Pastor Micah, our Noblesville campus pastor, is running for lieutenant governor. And so, um, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, for all of us, like, like Micah's still going to be involved. He's still going to, to be preaching on the weekends. I kind of hope he doesn't get in just so I can be around him more. Um, so, but, but we want God's will. Amen, everybody? And, and Micah would be a wonderful, godly man to be in that seat. And, and we want him to have more influence. And he's, he's already done a lot for the kingdom of God. And, and we want to see God bless him and use him in a powerful way. So would you all join me to pray for Micah and his family? And we'll pray for the service as well. But would you all do that with me? Father God, Lord, we thank you for Micah. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Micah, Lord, that, that you're calling him and you're, and you're using him. Lord, we pray that his influence would grow. God, we pray that he would be a voice in dark places, God. Lord, we pray that he would, he would do more than he can even dream or imagine in Jesus' name, and that you'd use him for your kingdom and for your honor. And it may be your will for his life in Jesus' name. And Lord, for his marriage, we pray that it will be united and strong in Jesus' name. We pray there will be a covering over his wife and over his children, God, that no weapons of the enemy, no words, no attacks would harm them in Jesus' name. For your rod and your staff, they comfort him. In the name of Jesus, and Lord, bless the service, God. I pray that you would use me to bless your people in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. I just wanted to make sure that you all knew that. And uh, please be praying for Pastor Micah during, the, during this time. Um, but hey, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Last week, the Philistines were defeated because David prayed to the Lord and God heard his prayer and answered. And David followed through with what God told him to do. And so they, they beat the Philistines twice. Well, here, David, uh, he, it says, starting at verse 1, it says, Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel... 30,000. So David goes from, when he's in the caves, he has 400 men to 30,000. It's amazing how, what God does in, in a man's life. It says, verse 2, that David departed from Baal, Judah. It's actually a place that was called Kidiath Jerim, and it is now. It's named that in Israel. It's about, it's like, it's funny, I look, when, I, when I Googled it, it's a 20-minute drive from Jerusalem, which is weird, but it's 8.8 it's miles uh, from from the center of Jerusalem, and it's it's west southwest or west west northwest of of uh, Jerusalem, but not that y'all need to know that. But you know sometimes it's hard not to give you the sweat of my brow when I'm studying, so uh, so you get those facts that don't matter to you. Um, but it says that that he he brought he, they departed from this place and all the people who were with him, to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of armies, 
who is enthroned above the cherubim. So here's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And so it was this box that was laid with gold, and, and it's funny because the wood that was actually used would not rot um, because it was, it was a wood that was used that grew in desert place and uh, a tree and that grew in a desert place that just it wouldn't rot. And so they layer it with gold, and on the inside of it, they put, they put uh, Aaron's staff that had bud, budded. They put uh, a jar full of manna, or some versions say a bowl full of manna, which is the bread that, that God sent down like angel food for the people to eat, and, and it really represented God's provision. And the Ten Commandments are inside the ark. And then you have on top, you have that gold lid, and that gold lid has two angels that cover, and, and, and that, that place is called the mercy seat. It's where the priest would actually take the blood of the animals and sprinkle it, and the, and the Lord would meet between the cherubim with the priest uh, over sprinkled blood. And so this was put in, the, in a place called the most holy place. So there was a, a tabernacle that was surrounded by these walls that they would actually, it was, it was set up and tear down church. They would set it up, tear it down. But it was at this place called Shiloh. And, and it, it, had, uh, it had one entrance on the east. And so they had the one entrance and then they had the brazen altar of sacrifice where people could come give general sacrifices. And then they had the laver, which is the bowl of water. And, and there was anointing oil there where the priest could, uh, could wash his hands and feet and would, would get ready to go into the holy place and the most holy place. And they would actually anointed Aaron and his sons there. And then they, and then they enter the holy place, which is the first part of the tent. And on the right side, there's the bread, there's the table of shoe bread that has the 12 different pieces of bread that represent the tribe of the nation of Israel, the different tribes, and the priests would have to eat the bread every single Sabbath. And then on the left side, and they actually believe by tradition that that table of shoe bread also had wine there, and so what that signifies a picture of the sacraments. And so on the other side, you had the menorah candle, which is seven. It's a little bit different than a Hanukkah candle, but it's seven different candles with oil. And it had the most pure oil of the olive oil that was in there and filled up every single day by the priests. And, uh, and it was what lit the holy place was that candle. And then the next thing that there was, and they had to do all these, they had to go to all these different stations. They had the altar of incense, and the altar of incense represented the people's prayers, and, and they even take blood, put blood on it. But then, they would, then there was this big veil that had two big angels on it with their wings covering the veil. And that, that veil separated the holy place from the most holy place. And so the priest would, on the Day of Atonement, which was one time a year, he would take uh, two different animals. One was a scapegoat. One was the, the lamb of sacrifice. And, and he, would, he would take the blood of the lamb and, and sprinkle it on that altar in this room that was like 15 feet by 15 feet, and the presence of the Lord would meet there. The priest would burn incense representing the prayer of the people. And so it, it's a very special thing that this was because it's a very spot where God would meet with his people, and the angel on the veil that stretched out was almost like the Garden of Eden. Remember there was an angel that was put before the Garden of Eden. They couldn't go back in. And that's why the angels are there, almost like a protection over the holy place. And so they would go in one time a year, 
and come out. And there's a lot more details I could bring that are really amazing and awesome and, and beautiful. But what I want you to see is that this is where God would meet his people. It was a very special thing. It, it wasn't normal. It wasn't common because of our sin, because sin had entered the world. We didn't have access to God, and then we had access through blood on the mercy seat. And the covering of the lid, remember, the covering covers us from the law because of our sin. So that's why there had to be blood sprinkled upon it, because it, it was something that covered, because we can't fulfill the law. But Jesus came to fulfill the law, amen? So just to give you a little bit of history, though, it was in this place called Shiloh, and there was this priest named Eli. And Eli had these sons, the Bible says that they were worthless men, and what these sons, they were actually priests before God, and what they would do was they would take women and they would have sex outside the tabernacle. And then on top of that, they would take food that they weren't supposed to take, they would take the best of the fatted portions, and they weren't supposed to do that. And so God says to Eli, hey, Eli, why do you love your sons more than you love me? Because he didn't bring true correction to his sons. And so God's, God ends up bringing a prophet and says through that prophet that, this, that his line is going to be cut off from being priests because he hasn't corrected his own kids. And then uh, Samuel gets a word from the Lord saying that everything that that, that prophet said, the Lord is going to bring to pass. And he's going to cause itching in the ears of Israel with what he's about to do. So what happens is Israel at that time, they decide to go into battle against the Philistines and they get whooped. And they come back and they're like, why did we lose? Why didn't we win? And they're like, we got an idea. Hey, let's go get that thing, the Ark of the Covenant, and bring it out before us. And the Lord God will go before us and we'll win the battle. So they go to Shiloh and... Eli's sons agree and go with the soldiers, with the Ark of the Covenant. They don't pray and don't ask God, hey, is this something we should do? But they really take the Ark more like a, luck, a good luck charm, like a rabbit's foot. And they take it before, and the Philistines win, and they capture the Ark. And so then the Ark is in the hands of the Philistines. They move the Ark around to five different cities, and and, and there's different things that happen, but one of the things that happens is tumors come upon uh, the men of the Philistines because of the Ark of the Covenant. So they're like, we can't handle it. They put it on a new cart with cows that have never, never pulled anything, and they just let it go. It goes back to Israel. Well, the Ark comes to this place, to this town, and the men are curious, and they look in the Ark. And it says that the anger of the Lord burned, and 50,070 men die just because they look into the ark. You know, like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when they look in the ark at the end, how they all die and like ghosts come out of the ark, which was dumb because that's not what's in the ark. That's, that bugs me. Hollywood. But, but it, it's a holy thing, something that, that was set apart for the meeting of God with his people. And so I want you to see it wasn't just a box, but this is, this, is, this is where God would inhabit the prayer and praises of his people at that time. And uh, the, so the Philistines, the Philistines send it back, and the Israelites, what they do is they're like, hey, we can't handle this, and they send it to 
Kirath-Jerim, where David ends up going to get, and there it sits for 70 plus years. One commentary that I read said it was 120, but I couldn't get the math to, like it just didn't add up. So it's somewhere between 70 and 120, where it's outside of Shiloh, and it's in this place, Kiriath-Jerim, and, uh, and Israel leaves it there with this guy, Eliezer, who was of the house of Abinadab, and they consecrate him to take care of the ark, and there it remains. And David says, hey, remember that thing? Remember that ark? We've got to go get that. So in verse 3, they had the ark of God mounted on a new cart and moved it from the house of Abinadab, which uh, it's interesting. Abinadab means that my father is noble or my father is willing, and they were willing to take the ark. So they took the ark from the house, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart, and they were really grandsons of him. So they brought with the ark of God uh, from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Ohio was walking in front of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of juniper wood, lyres, harps, tambourines, guitars, drums, whatever. What they had, right? They had stringed instruments that they were playing before the Lord with all their might. And all of this seems really good. And even First Corinthians or First Chronicles, not Corinthians, First Chronicles 13 says that David actually gathered the men and he gathered priests and he says, hey, if it seems good to all of you and if it's good to the Lord our God, let's go get the ark. But they still don't pray. They don't seek his face to see how they should get the ark. They're just like, hey, if it seems, does this seem good to you? Yeah, it seems good to me. Let's go get it. So it's something that seems really great, but there's some things that they did out of order. And so... It says that in verse 6, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and touched the ark of God to take hold of it because the oxen had nearly overturned it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there before the ark of God. So what's interesting is the, the threshing floor was the place where they'd separate the wheat from the chaff. And there's some things that, that were done out of order. One of those things was the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried by one family from one tribe, one people group that God had, God had said should move it. And it was to be carried on poles. But what do they do instead? They, they put it on a, on a cart, a new cart. Well, that's something that the Philistines had done. You see, they did something that they saw the world was doing. And how true is that in our own life that there are times where we see the way of the Lord or, or his most high way and we think, you know what, my way is better or the world's way. The world does it like this, so I'm going to do it like this. The world says I can sleep with whoever I want. I can live however I want. The world says I can speak about whoever I want to speak about. And the Bible says not to, to speak irreverently. And I'll, I'll speak of another example, which is cussing. And that's something that in the body of Christ was like, you do not, you do not cuss under any circumstance. And that's something that's been lost in, in the church, in the local church in America today, because there is an understanding. The Bible says that, that with the tongue, it has the power of life and death. I want life. Do you want life? And the Bible also says this, if y'all listen, the Bible also says that whatever a man speaks, may it be unto him. 
in Proverbs. And it goes even further later on, but God says, do not curse heaven. Do not swear by heaven or by earth because heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And do not swear by your head because you can't make one gray or black. You don't, don't swear by somebody else because, because they're created in the image of God. And so we, God's way is better, even though it may, it may be easier. The way the world may be easier. I'm sure it was easier to take the Ark of the Covenant and put it on a new cart and let that, let that ox, let that puppy drag that thing. Then somebody carry it and find the right family. We've got to go find the right family and the right people. But God's way is better. Amen, everybody? His way is higher. His thoughts are higher. The Bible says that the, the strength of man is weakness to God and the wisdom of man is foolishness to him. And I'm not trying to beat anybody down. I'm just trying to follow the word. I'm trying to, trying to show you something. There's things that we can learn from all scripture. And so it says that the, that the anger of the Lord burned against him for his irreverence and God struck him down. You see, the... the the, in, in, Exodus, in Exodus chapter 25, maybe it's 27, but actually says that they couldn't touch the ark when they're moving it or they would die. And so Uzzah, he acts out of a place of ignorance, but I think about it like this. Even though he acted out of ignorance, like maybe God should have let it off the hook. But God said, if you do this, you'll die. And in and. To give you a comparison, I talked a couple weeks ago about my son Leland. How Leland stood up on the tree fort on the highest telephone pole, and I yelled at him. Well, we ended up, we did go get a cantaloupe, and we did throw it off the, the top of the tree fort, and it did bust, and we did show him. I said, look, buddy, I can't put it back together. And he goes, oh. I said, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't fix it. Do you see that? Yeah. And so he got it, he understood, but a few days later, on, when I was actually feeling better on Wednesday, he saw I had my twenty-two rifle, and he said, Dad, where did you get that gun? And I said, well, buddy, I've had it put away. And he said, oh. I said, buddy, do you like the gun? And he says, yeah, I like the gun. And I said, well, buddy, is the gun dangerous? And he said, no, the gun's not dangerous. Yeah. So what we ended up doing after VBS, there was leftover watermelon. We took one of those watermelons. I cut it in half. We ate some of it, but we put it on, on a, we have a split rail fence, and we put it on the split rail fence. I took all the kids outside, and we, I took a shotgun, 20-gauge shotgun, and I said, do you, look at the, do you look in the barrel of the gun? No. Okay, now the gun's unloaded. Do I look in the barrel of the gun now? No. Very good. Okay, do you point the gun at anybody? No. Very good. So they're learning. And then I shot the watermelon, exploded everywhere, and it was awesome. And then they asked if we could do it again, so we did it again. And their understanding has grown. That I said, buddy, do you understand that that's, that's like your head? If you, if you accidentally shoot yourself or you shoot somebody, there's no more. And he said, yeah, I, yeah. And so he got it, and then we asked Sam. I asked Sam. I held up my shotgun. Josie's holding him in her, in her arms. I think, it, I think she's holding him. And, and I said, hey, buddy, do you touch a gun if you ever see it? And he just looked at me and thought. And he said, yeah. 
He's three, so we have some more training to do. I'll, I'll throw this in there because it's funny, but we, we actually, I pounded into my daughter's, my four oldest head, a song by Eddie the Eagle. And Eddie the Eagle is the NRA Eagle. So, so I know some of you, I heard some of you know, but the song is, if you see a gun, stop, don't touch, run away, tell the grown up. So stop, don't touch, run away, tell the grown up. Well, I, I, I played that a lot, like every day, because I don't want them to understand, you don't touch a gun. Well, then my mom ends up taking one of the kids to Walmart, it's a couple of the few of the kids, and they're singing in the checkout line with the lady behind them, stop, don't touch, run away, tell the grown-up. And there's no context. <laughs> so you understand? Stop, don't touch, run away, tell the grown-up. So then she, she probably thinks, she's like, oh my gosh, they're singing this song. These people think I'm weird. But so we kind of, we laid off of it a little bit, but now it's time to put Eddie the Eagle back in the family. <laughs> because we have boys now. But this, this is the point, is, is if, if one of my sons did not know, or one of my kids did not know that a gun could hurt them and believe, no, it's not dangerous, and then they shoot themselves or they shoot somebody else, even though there's ignorance, is there still a consequence? It's the same here with USA. Remember, that's the mercy seat. It's the place where God would meet with his people. They couldn't even touch it because they were not holy. God met over sprinkled blood. It was almost, it was justice. It'd be like saying that he can touch the presence of God and make it that, that he, he, like he hadn't, hadn't had sin. And so what happens in verse 8 is that David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place has been called Perez Uzzah to this day. That just means the breach of Uzzah. So it seems very harsh. David's upset. He's like, God, I'm... I'm doing what I think's right. And there's a difference between, between uh, thinking what's right and doing what's right. And the, the fault of David is David didn't go back and read the law. He didn't know the word. He didn't take, maybe he had read the law, but in that moment he didn't know, oh, it's supposed to be carried by these certain men. Oh, it's supposed to be done this. He didn't seek the Lord's will. And so we need to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Amen, everybody? Because the word has benefit. The word is what changes us. The word's what helps us. The word has the wisdom that we need. And, and that's, that's the fault of David. So David, in verse 9, it says that, that, so David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of God into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. I think that's funny. I think it's funny that David, David was like, how can I take the Ark of God? And he's like, hey, Obed, here's the Ark of the Covenant. You take it. I don't want to die, but I'm okay if you do. And maybe that's a little extreme, but that's kind of how I picture that. It's like, how can I take it? Let's pawn it off on some sucker that will take it to his house and maybe look in the lid. So, then, so it's at Obed-Edom's house. <laughs> it's in his house. And verse 11 says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Now I want you to see that they had to come 
to the holy place through all these different steps to get to the presence of God. Now, God blessed Obed-Edom because the ark was there, but think about how much more blessed you are. And to give you a little bit of a picture, the entrance to the tabernacle had one gate. Who's the narrow gate? Jesus. He's the narrow gate. And then they came to the brazen altar where there would be sacrifice over and over and over again. But Hebrews is clear that Jesus was our atoning sacrifice once and for all. And then they have the, the, the laver, which is the bowl that's filled with water. Well, Jesus is greater than the cleansing, that, that washing water, because he's cleansing water. He's the, he's the living water. And he's satisfaction, the living water. He's greater, and he doesn't only wash away our sins, but he purifies us from our sins. Like they never happened as far away as the east is from the west. And then they, go, then they move from the outer court into the holy place, and you have the table of shoe bread, which is unleavened bread, but Jesus is the bread of life, and he's the bread that came back. He rose. And then you have the candlestick, which is where the holy place was lit, but Jesus is the light of the world. And this is something really interesting that I found, was that, I didn't find, but I thought about it, was that the candlestick had seven lights, well, who holds the seven stars in his hand? Jesus does. Now, those stars represented angels, but still, he had, he had stars in his hand. How amazing is that? He's greater than the holy place and then the altar of incense where the priest could come and give and, and light, light the incense and do, do whatever they had to do. Well, Jesus is our high priest that intercedes on behalf of us day and night. And he's greater than the priests of Levi because he's of the order of Melchizedek. He's greater. He's mighty. And then there's that veil between the holy place and the holy place, and he tore that. And then something really interesting, the Ark of the Covenant, with the mercy seat, the Greek word used is heisteron in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. And what that word means... Uh, prep, uh, the, the word that's used, propitiation, what'd you say? Propitiation. Hoosier. Remember Hoosier. I'm here. Propitiation. I can't say it. But that, but it act, that word actually means mercy seat. So the, the, the scripture should read like this. It says, For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a mercy seat through faith in his blood. So I just want you to see, what we have in Jesus is so much greater. Because the presence of God, the, the peace of God, can rest not in a temple, not in a church building, but it can rest in us and upon us. Jesus is greater. And something else interesting that Charles Stanley, who just died a couple weeks ago, he, he, he says that when Mary, in John chapter 20, that when she actually went into the tomb, she saw an angel at the head and at the foot of where Jesus laid. What else had an angel at the head and at the foot? The mercy seat. Jesus fulfilled the mercy seat because he came to fulfill the law. 
And Jesus says this. He says, blessed are those who hears my words and obeys them. And he says, whoever obeys my teaching, my Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with them. I want the blessing of God. And you know, the intimacy with God and the Holy Spirit, the intimacy with God is not based upon mere experience or emotion. But the experience of God is experience, the, 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 the intimacy with Lord, excuse me, the intimacy with God, how we get there is through knowing his word. Blessed are those who hear my voice and keep them. Now there's experiences along the way. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is the uh, seeing miracles and seeing God move, feeling his presence. But it all begins with the word. Because the word has something to say. And so this is my challenge to the whole church. I challenge you this week to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 every day. Because that's where God said, blessed are those who, who hear my word and keep them, keeps them and obeys them. There's something we can learn. We want to be doers of the word, and here's the word. Amen, everybody? Worship team, would you come on up? And so I want to know him. I want to know him the best that I can. And so I, I, need, I need to do what I can and just put his word in my heart. That's all I have to do. I just, you, you pray, you worship, you read the word. Come to church. You just follow him. Jesus just says, follow me. That's all you have to do. He just says, follow me, follow me, follow me. Amen, everybody. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.